Let me ask you a question as I begin this sermon and get your juices flowing a little bit. What moves you? What stirs your heart? What causes passion to stir up in your mind and soul? What causes your emotions at times to surface? Think about that for a few moments as you look at some pictures that will uh, come up on the screen. And I don't know if any of these move your heart. Uh Uh-huh. I knew that one would get some of you. (laughs) We got animal lovers here. What moves you? What makes your passion stir up? What brings your feelings and emotions up to the surface? We all have them, those things in our lives. And I would submit to you today that if Jesus Christ were here and someone were to ask him, Jesus, what moves you? What stirs your passions? What makes you have emotions that come to the surface? I think one of his answers would be people. You see, Jesus loves people. And I love that about him. It was Point of Grace uh, some years ago, a a wonderful singing group, great talent, who once sang a song that I just love to this day. God loves people more than anything. And I don't know if you would agree with that, if that's true in your thinking, if you believe that God loves people more than anything. But I will tell you, If the Bible is accurate, and I believe it is 100% accurate, it would be hard to argue against Jesus being a lover of people. Certainly, Jesus demonstrated a deep compassion and love for people. We matter to him. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 15, and I'll begin the reading of this passage at verse 29. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 29. Matthew fifteen twenty nine. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, well, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away. He got into the boat and went into the vicinity of Magadan. Now, as you watch the screen, you're going to see several passages of Scripture that will pop up that will use this word, compassion. It will tell you, and these are just a few of the references in the Scriptures that directly say, I have compassion for these people. 
They're quoting Jesus. Or there are times where it's saying that Jesus had this compassion. The last passage you're going to see come up on the screen comes to us from the book of James. And it is the latter part of verse uh, chapter 5, verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And on that, I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is a God who has compassion for people? The Greek word in all of these verses is the same. The one that translates uh, in our English word to compassion, it's the same word. They refer to being moved within the very depths of your being, to being stirred, to being moved and motivated to act upon what you are feeling. Where would we be? If the Lord God wasn't compassionate towards people. Amen. I'm so glad that Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. Those were his words to his disciples in our scripture lesson. And again and again, it appears in the scriptures. And it's hard to argue the fact that Jesus Christ looks at people in a way that we should be very grateful for. He has compassion on you when he looks at you. I know at times in my life, I have thought that probably the way the Lord would look at me would be a little bit like this. And I think you've been there too. I think you've probably been there and thought, oh, my goodness, I wouldn't want to be standing in front of the Lord right now because I'm sure he's angry with me. But the scripture says, in spite of any of that, he has a heart that's compassionate. He's full of it. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. I have compassion for these people. The words were confirmed when he said these words. They were confirmed then by his actions, the things that he did. Before he even uttered these words that day, he was moved to the very depths of his being and filled with compassion as he watched the people gathering to him there on that mountainside. You see, I'm confident that when Jesus looks at a person, he sees more than we see. Amen. Jesus has what I call divine vision. He can look into you and know what you're thinking and perceive what you're going through. And one of the things I love about the Lord is that he cannot misunderstand you. How many of you sitting here and don't raise your hand, this is rhetorical, have ever been misunderstood by people? Oh, my word. Uh, And somebody raised their hand. I just want to go on record. I've been misunderstood. And I think we've all been there, man. It's just we're misunderstood. But I need you to understand that when Jesus looks into people's eyes, when he sees a crowd of people, he knows exactly what you are going through. He knows exactly what you are thinking and what is going on in your life. And I believe as this large crowd of people were gathering near him, As he's sitting there on the mountainside, he looked out and he saw these people. And I love that he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. You know what? He knows what you need today. I believe he's present with us this morning. I believe that Jesus came here too. I know that if you are a believer, he's with you. Amen. He's in you. That's what the Bible says. God somehow dwells in the hearts of men. I still don't understand how God fits in a heart of a human being. But he does. The great God of heaven and earth knows exactly. He perceives exactly as we gathered here this morning. I believe Jesus looked upon us and he knows us and he knows our need. And I am confident that he is moved with great compassion by our condition. Because where we may fool one another, we don't fool him. 
And thank God we're not misunderstood by him. I wanted to stand before you today as your pastor and emphasize that this is a great quality of your wonderful and great Savior, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, all freedom and deliverance from that which plagues people, which, which captures us, which dominates us, which puts us in bondage, all of the freedom comes from Jesus Christ. In the case of our sin, only he can deliver us. Only Jesus. I'm so grateful that with all of his power, he has compassion. He, he, let me say this to you. Jesus, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit, takes no delight in judging people. And the judgment day will be a very difficult day for our Heavenly Father. As he has to look at some who have ignored him and rejected his son. And he has to say to them, depart from me. That won't be a great day for the Lord because he has so much love for people. Our scripture tells us that great crowds of people were gathered around him. And they had a lot of severe problems as they came to him. There were many who were physically brought to him because they couldn't go themselves. There were the cripple, the lame. There were the blind. There were people who could not speak. There were people with all kinds of difficulties, physical problems. And in his compassion, Jesus healed them all. That's why today when I was asked if we could anoint someone for healing, I have no issue with that. The Bible bears out that Jesus is a healer. And the Bible bears out that it is an obedience to the Lord when we pray over someone and we have faith in the power of Jesus to heal. There's no power in the oil that we anoint people with. It's just oil. But it is a representation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that God still heals today. That's what the Bible teaches us. So I'm never put off by somebody saying, listen, I'm sick or I have a problem. I need healing. In fact, God has done so many, so many wonderful things right here in our church in the past couple of years. I'm still amazed at what God does and the healing that he has done. And I'm grateful for that. He healed them all. Why? Because I have compassion for these people. Why did Jesus ever leave his place in heaven? And all of the glory and all of the beauty and splendor of being by his father's side to later become one of us and die for us and be sacrificed because I have compassion for this people. In verse 31 of our scripture lesson, and I love this one, it it says this, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the cripple made well and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praise the God of Israel. Aren't you glad for a God who knows how to love people and have compassion on them? Why did Jesus command his followers to love their enemies? Because he loves the people who we would consider our enemies and he has compassion on the people that we would consider enemies to us. Why did Jesus command us to go to the world and preach his message, the gospel, and then make disciples? Because Jesus would say, I have compassion for these people who are around you. They matter to me. I have compassion for them. Why does the Holy Spirit guide the servants of the Lord sometimes into danger, making sacrifices, being... uh, being faced with difficulty because he has compassion for people in the world. Compassion. 
moved to the very depths of our core is the essence of who Jesus Christ is. And church, I need to remind you of something. We bear the name of Jesus Christ and we have his DNA. So that begs a question. I need to ask you again, what moves you? What stirs your passions? What what causes you to be moved within the very depths of your soul? Church, let me ask this question. What moves us as an organization, as a people? What stirs us as a church? I mentioned earlier that I think that Jesus, watching the people gathering to him as he sat there on the mountainside, saw the depths of their need. And I believe it was moved because of that. I'm confident that he has the complete awareness for our needs. And I want to just, knowing that, ask us to consider two questions as a church today, as a congregation today. First question I want to ask is, do we here at the Gospel Chapel see people as Jesus sees them? Now, again, we're not going to know everything Jesus knows, and I understand that. I'm not talking about that divine sight, but do we look at people in a way that Jesus would look at them? There's an evening in the life of Jesus that's given to us that's recorded in the seventh chapter of Luke. I'm going to read part of that evening to you. It's Luke chapter 7. I'm going to verse 44, and I want to read this to you. Jesus is speaking of, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I enter has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been given little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in place. This is an important story in the life of Jesus because it was just before he was crucified. And there was a woman who was known to be of ill repute. She had done a lot of things and made a lot of poor choices, a lot of bad choices. She had hurt a lot of people along the way. And even she acknowledged that she had lived a sinful life. There was a Pharisee in the, name, in the town where Jesus was, and his name was Simon. That's who uh, the scriptures are referring to here. And Simon, uh, for his own motivation's sake, invited Jesus to come to his place. He invited Jesus after uh, thinking about this evening and what he wanted to do and how he wanted it to be seen for him to have Jesus in his home. He invited other dignitaries. The haves, if you will, all came out to this dinner. And this story, this woman that you hear about is a woman who crashed the party. The, the, the freshly uh, baked bread smells and the, and the delicious meal that was being prepared by the servants of Simon uh, filled the house. And suddenly the house was, the, the, that aroma was, was overtaken by the Roman aroma of very expensive perfume. Because this woman walked in uninvited and found Jesus. And she began to kiss 
his feet and broke open this perfume that now mingles in the room and sort of overpowering all the fresh bread and the fresh meal. And to the the host consternation, she has just broken in and ruined everything, ruined the evening as far as he was concerned. And then she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus, uh, wiping, wipe, or, or pouring tears out on his feet and wiping them off with her hair and pours that perfume on him, all in an act of contrition, all in an act to somehow gain his, his forgiveness and his favor. And there she is pouring her heart out before the Lord. And, and Simon is sitting there and he is seething. He's furious that she had the unmitigated gall, the, a person like her, to walk into his righteous home and to interrupt something that he had planned and to just break into this dinner party and change everything. And he began to think to himself, if Jesus was all that, if Jesus was really who he, he says he is, if he was holy, he wouldn't let a woman like her come within 10 feet of him. He would not let this woman touch him. What is he doing? And Jesus perceived Simon's thinking. And so he asked Simon a very important question. He asked Simon this question. Do you see this woman? Simon, do you see her? And then he goes on to speak to Simon about the things that Simon neglected and how this woman made up for those things in her act of contrition. And then he began to show Simon that his way of looking at this woman was far from the way that Jesus Christ looked at this woman. What do we see? How do we view people when we see a sinner? Walk through our doors. Do we tend to look at them like Simon saw this woman? A, a, a mess of a person who doesn't deserve to be among us? Or are we more like Jesus? Do we judge or do we have compassion, church? Do we even see the broken? Do we even notice the people around us who are so broken and so um, in, in pain? Do we even see them? And when we do, when we do see broken people, do we feel put out and repulsed by them being near us? Or do we see hurting, tormented souls? And are we more like Jesus, wanting to reach out to them and have compassion on them? Church, what is our reputation in Northampton? What do people think of, of our church and the way that we treat people? How does it come off? How are we with other people? Are we known as a people who judge people who are broken? Or are we known as a people who love them and, and receive them warmly and do our best to provide a, a godly help to them? Do we see people who we know are messed up walking through our doors, the broken, the lost, the confused? And do we think to ourselves, what a lot of nerve, what a lot of impotence on their part to even bother us by walking in here? Who do they think they are? Or are we a little more like Jesus? And we rejoice in their courage to push past the, the awkwardness that they would come, that they would join us. Do we see it as a gift? Do we see it as an opportunity? Or do we see it more like Simon would? This is an intrusion. This is an inconvenience. 
I need to say this to you, my friends. Sometimes people don't come to us at the most convenient moment. Amen? And sometimes the way they are living their lives and the problems that they are having doesn't feel that convenient for us. Sometimes broken people hurt other people. And sometimes it's difficult to deal with hurting people. Do we have eyes like Simon or do we have eyes like Jesus? Simon, do you see this woman, Jesus would ask. And, of course, Jesus' response to this woman clearly shows that he backed up his his statement that he made to the disciples on the mountainside. I have compassion for these people. Oh, that God would move on our hearts from our perspective. If a sinner, a messed up, broken person kneels at one of these chairs and seeks the Lord and and is trying to cry out to God, do we tend to, to judge them and sit back and say, I don't know if they really mean it? Do we fold our arms and say, we'll just wait and see how this turns out? Or do we receive them openly like Jesus did? Take them at their word and know that they're seeking God and do we help them along their journey? Oh, this is important for us, church. This is a pivotal thing because it defines who we are as a congregation. And I want to be on the side of Jesus Christ. I have compassion for these people. From our perspective, how do we see them? When someone is seeking the Lord, will we always celebrate? And will we, we um, rejoice with the angels of heaven? How do we see it? Are we moved at all? In the depths of our being by the brokenness that is in the world around us. Move to the point of being motivated to do something. Do we see people more like Simon or more like Jesus? You see, Simon saw through eyes of judgment, through eyes of, uh, of condemnation. Simon filtered everything with people through suspicion and doubt. But Jesus sees through the eyes of redemption and hope. He sees through love and power. What about us? Do we see people by the color of their skin? Does that matter to us at all? Or do we see a priceless soul? Do we see people as intrusions or opportunities? Do we greet people with cold indifference and suspicion? Or do we warmly welcome them with openness and hope and love? What do we see? How do we view this? The second question I want us to consider as a church is, will we do anything? Will we do anything? Jesus took action, and he commands us to do the same. Going back to this day where there were so many people that he had compassion on, and he wanted them not to go home hungry, Jesus did what Jesus does. He took action. He was moved with compassion. Can we say we have compassion if we've never acted on it? It's not enough, folks. And I, I don't mean to be unkind here. I just, this, just just let the spirit say to you what he needs to say to you. But it's not good enough for us to say we feel sad and say we feel compassion if we never act on it. Will God say well done to that? I don't think so. I think we have to put more than words to our, our emotions, if you will. There has to be more than lip service to this. I don't see the Lord saying, well done. Let me ask you who are believers today. Have you been moved to the depths of your being for somebody who's hurting lately? 
Has anything stirred up within you as you've thought about somebody who is lost or broken or struggling? Have you done anything to express compassion to somebody who needs the Lord? Have you thought lately, thought lately about the 8 to 15 people that God has deliberately placed into your life, believer, who is lost? They don't know Jesus. And if they if suddenly something uh, catastrophic happened on our planet and they they were to die this very second, they would not go to heaven. I'm talking about those people. Have we thought even about our oikos? Have we prayed for one lost person lately? Have we thought about what they are going to face if they don't come to Christ? Are you actively looking for ways to influence somebody? into believing in Jesus Christ. Are you inviting anybody to come to a church service? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to come across as as angry because I'm not at all. This challenges me. I have compassion for these people, Jesus said. And then he acted. He did something about it. And I know as a church, we can't just talk about this. We have to be willing to put, if you will, skin in the game and do what we're supposed to do to show the love of Jesus Christ to the community he has put us in. I say to you who are Christ followers that there are two things that Christ followers cannot get away from. One is the compassion that God has for people who are lost and broken. And the other is our mandate to get that message of the gospel into their ears. That's what we're called to be. And that's what we're called to do. I can hear those words echoing in my own mind. I have compassion for these people. I can't end this sermon without speaking for a few minutes about the inadequacy of the disciples to feed the multitude that was before them. Jesus said we need to give them something to eat. And they didn't have it. They confessed to the Lord, Lord, there's not enough bread in this whole area to give people this uh, this group, this this size. 4,000 families. There's just not enough food in the whole area to feed them. And I love Jesus' response here. He says, well, what do you have? What's here? And that reminded me of something the other day as I was thinking about me and the inadequacies that I have to meet anybody's needs. The Lord had to remind me the other day as I was struggling with that again. Ken, it never was and it never will be what you have. It's not about that. It's not about what you have. It never will be and it never has been about your capacity. It always has been what I will do and what I have. You see, people don't really need much of me. They need Jesus. Amen. And they just need, and this is what the Lord asked, what do you have? Give that to me. And you watch what I do with what you have. I still remember, oh, it's been about um, the beginning of the summer, maybe even before, maybe it was spring, when Brother Bill Hartzell shared his testimony with us. And one of the things I loved about Bill's testimony was how many times God challenged him to give when he didn't really have to give and he just gave and, and then he watched what God did. And God did things that, that, well, it just in natural sense shouldn't have happened, but, but God just used his obedience. And, and many of you have that story, but I'm, I want to say this to you. 
If we wait until we are capable of meeting the needs of the people of Northampton, we'll never have enough. And God doesn't expect us to have enough because it's not about us. It's not about our programming and it's not about what we can do as a people. It's not about our creativity. It is about us submitting to God what we are and what we have and watch him take it and multiply it and use it for the glory of God. Amen. I've struggled with this in my life and ministry. It happened to me again this week. Who are you to be a pastor? Who are you to preach the holy word of God? Look at the need. What do you have? You've got nothing. You aren't fooling anyone. You don't have enough to meet the needs. That's the inner dialogue that comes into my spirit when I've bumbled and stumbled my way through another week. That's what hits me. When I realize that I am, I am not enough and that I don't have enough and I'm not smart enough and I'm not in, uh, talented enough or any of those things. That, that none of this, none of this is great enough to meet the needs of the people that I minister to. That's what echoes in my mind when somebody gets upset and leaves the church. You're never enough. Who are you? And once again, as I wrestle with my inadequacies, I hear another voice saying, It's never been about you. It's been about me, Ken. Give me what you got. And so, you know, I'm painfully aware of my own deficiencies and my inadequacies and my weaknesses. And I'm also aware that uh, until the Holy Spirit changes it, I'm still called to be the pastor of the Gospel Chapel. And I hope the Holy Spirit doesn't change that very soon. I want to be here. I love you. I'm enjoying being your pastor. But until he does, I'm called, and that's my job, and that's what I'm supposed to do. It's not what I have, and it's not about that. Compared to the need, I have nothing. It's about the Savior who, praise God, says, I have compassion for these people. One of the things that emboldens me as a pastor is to know that I'm not backed up by human strength. I'm backed up by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it's God who works in me. It isn't me doing a thing. It's just God working in me. If there's something that happens as a result of my efforts, it's because there's a powerful, limitless God doing amazing things and meeting needs that I can never meet. All I can do is be the messenger and tell you what's up about the Lord and his love for you. Can I interrupt myself just before I wrap this sermon up and say this to you? If you are sitting here, and you wondered, even in your heart, just for a little bit, that God, whether or not God loves you, I want you to put that all, all of that doubt to, de- uh, to death. I want you to put it, yes, sir. I want you to put that to rest because I want you to hear me say, Jesus would say to you, I have compassion for you. Jesus loves people, I believe, more than anything. I believe that's why he did all that he did. The thing is, I know that there are a lot of Christ followers who resonate with me this morning. You see lost people and you hear the Lord's voice saying, I have compassion for these people. And you know that God wants you to do something. And you know that you don't have enough. You're not adequate enough to meet the needs. I want to read this to you one more time. Let these words sink in. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. 
And then he took the seven loaves of the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people, and they all ate, and they were all satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. That's Jesus. That's what he does. So with what little faith you may have, I encourage you to do what I try to do. I encourage you to give to the Lord whatever it is that you have so that he can use you and do with you what he did with the fish and the loaves that day. Be his man, be his woman, and trust him with your inadequacies. Say, God, I'm not going to let this be an excuse that Satan uses to keep me from trying. I can at least invite I can at least talk to somebody. I, I'm not going to throw my talents aside and say they're not enough. I'm going to help you with that. They're not enough. But give them to God and watch what he does. Trust him. One more time, if you sit here and you just ever have any doubt in your heart, and you might say to yourself, I'm, I'm so broken, I'm pretty sure God's just mad at me. I'm pretty sure he's doing that, looking down his nose at me. I'm pretty sure I disgust him. I want you to know that that's not true. I want you to know what Jesus would look you in the eye and say to you is, I have compassion for you if you'll turn to me. I have compassion. I'm a merciful God. I'm full of compassion. I'm full of mercy. And I will, I will help you if you will let me. I will save you from your sins. I'll deliver you if you'll let me. I'll take them away. And the power of sin over your life, I'll break that. I'll set you free. The chains that bind you, I'll deliver you from those chains. And I'll make you a new person. I'll do that for you. I have compassion for you. 